Welcome to International Podcast Month for IPM. IPM 2020 is brought to you by the organizational team, Anne, Cole, Tess, and Theron. A very special thank you to all of our participants, without whom this event wouldn't be possible. And now, on to the episode. Welcome to another Creator Conversation episode. This is Tess Kokio, and today I am interviewing Dania Ramos, creator and writer of Timestorm, an audio fiction series about twins who travel in time to reclaim their culture's true history. Before we jump in, I'm going to draw you into this episode with the trailer for the show so that you can get a taste of what Dania and I are going to be talking about. Kids, the mission isn't a game. You're right. And it's a mission that you can't meet alone. You need help. Besides, these aren't just any children. They are family. Oh, same excuse every time you have chores. Oh, you'd probably like this one, Alexa. The main character's Puerto Rican like us. Take back time. American soldier Lieutenant Horacio Mendez is fighting a war on a foreign shore when he's pulled through an interdimensional portal into a time storm. Ah, how cool is that? I don't do interdimensional portals. Whoa, that storm sure is close. Bueno, I'm just glad you're not scheduled to fly a plane in this. Can we turn on the air? You know the rules. No air conditioning after Labor Labor Day. Day. When I was growing up in Puerto Rico, we just cranked Crank open, open the, the window. window. We're in agreement then. Yes, I'm summoning Alexa and Benito Ventura into the time storm. Hi. Can't believe you're here! Oh, twins. Benito and Alexa Ventura, tremendous! You can travel in time, and whenever, wherever you arrive on Earth, you'll exist alive as can be. You can help me. No, we can't. It's gaining strength. Might become a hurricane tonight. Irma, a week and a half ago, and now this storm. It's Minerva, right? Maria. Horacio said we both have a choice. You can choose to stay, and I can choose to go without you. Oh, right! You fly around in some other century. I'll hang here, wondering if you're ever gonna return. No! Something wrong, Lex? Just my sister being weird as usual. (laughs) Benny! Yeah? Horacio says we can't change the past, but... Maybe there's a loophole! Exactly! You're finally ready? The mission isn't about being saviors of a culture. It's about preserving and raising up what's already there. You'll need to redefine what it means to save history. Witness. Find. Remember. Hi, Danya. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hello, Tess. I'm so glad to be speaking with you. I'm really excited to talk to you. You are the creator and writer of Timestorm, which is one of my favorite audio fiction series. Thank you. So 
let's just start off with you just telling me a little bit about yourself. Give a little introduction for our listeners who don't know you and don't know Time Storm. Yeah, so my name is Dania Ramos, and I am the head writer and co-producer of Time Storm. And that is a fiction podcast for children that tells the story of twins from Newark, New Jersey, who travel in time to find their culture's true history. Yeah, and we produce it, my husband and I, Michael Aquino, um, through Gokotaso Media. We're based in Bloomfield, New Jersey. And the podcast is also part of Trax, the Trax Network out of PRX. So that's kind of it about Time Storm. I don't know if you want me to go on into any other things yet, but... <laughs> That's awesome. I have really enjoyed Time Storm. Um, props to Elena Fernandez Collins, that's Ellie, for recommending Time Storm to me because I was looking for something wholesome and sweet that I could listen to in the car with my three-year-old. And uh, and Aww. that was their number one recommendation. Uh, so I'm really excited to be speaking Aww. with you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Ellie, for, the rec <laughs> for recommending the show. That's great. That's very sweet. Thank you for your kind words about the show. Danya, let's Talk about you a little bit. You started with writing playwrights and young adult novels. Can you tell me a little bit about that and then how you made the shift from writing for that medium into podcasting? Yeah. So in terms of novel writing, I've written a couple of middle grade mystery novels. And the, the first one was actually my thesis project for graduate school. Um, and then, uh, but before that, I was actually writing plays I probably started writing them in some form in 2000, and I got a, a little more serious about that probably around 2004, 2005. And so I, I'm also a teaching artist, um, which we might talk about a, a little bit later on, but um, one thing that kind of was coming up for me, and I think it was influenced by my teaching artist work, was that I was writing almost always um, centered around a main character or characters that were youth of color. Um, and so that was just kind of naturally popping up for me. And so one of the things that I actually um, applied for when I was uh, doing some playwriting was this contest, Liberty Live contest um, for a professional theater here in New Jersey. And it was specifically to write a theater for young audiences stage play that dealt with New Jersey history. And so I wrote a proposal for that, and it, I wasn't selected. It was a finalist, but it wasn't selected. Um, and years later, I actually came back to it um, for another workshop, and the teachers were asking, well, what if this was something that wasn't necessarily about New Jersey history, but something that was way more personal um, to the characters, um, who were these twins who were Puerto Rican? So... Once I realized that that was the story that was there to tell, I realized it was a lot longer than <laughs> like a one hour stage play. And so in all that, Michael and I had kind of been falling in love with audio drama podcasts. Um, and Michael, he is the co-producer of the series and he does all the sound design and the composing of the music. And because he had a background in music and theater as well, we decided that we were going to try our hand at audio drama because we thought it was a good fit for both of our skill sets. So we actually started with this anthology series that we had, Cocotazo um, Audio Theater, and it was just like standalone plays, and we just really considered it a playground, and we just took risks and learned a lot before saying like, okay, this is the story 
time storm is a story we want to tell like over a number of, se- of seasons. So that's kind of how it's a long way to get <laughs> to time storm, <laughs> I know, but um, that's how we got here. That's really cool. So Coco Tasso Media is something that you and your husband started. Yes, absolutely. So we um, we actually technically became an LLC in January of ni- uh, 2019. Um, and we run it, uh, you know, we have a studio, a home studio. So we basically run it from home and record out of home. Can you tell me what the meaning is behind the name? <laughs> so um, it's actually, it's funny because it it actually ranges depending on which culture. Um, so according to some cultures, it can be this like cute little knock on the head. Um, <laughs> I'm sure some cultures, they get like, well, that's not what it is. It's a little bit more than that. Um, but for us, um, the idea of this Coco Tasso audio theater, Coco Tasso Media, is that this audio is kind of being like tapped into your head. Like you're getting this this entertainment and these stories and this music because we also produce music, um, is kind of being uh, tapped into your head. That's the idea. I love that. That's very (laughs) clever. It's really cute. I like it a lot. Thank you. So you had mentioned earlier that you teach, uh, that you're a teaching artist. How do you find that your teaching informs your writing for audio dramas or playwrights, novels, and vice versa, especially since you also teach audio drama workshops for young adults? So I've been a teaching artist for about... 17 years now, and um, the the age group I really do enjoy teaching the most is that kind of middle grade, nine to 13 year olds. Um, and a lot of the teaching artist work that I've done is really helping students write their own stories, poems, and then and either having them produced by, by actors um, and a director coming in or them producing, um, performing it themselves. Um, and so, in my experience, teaching them or even just guiding them along their own um, path to their own storytelling, I think I've always been impressed at um, the types of stories that they are telling, the subject matter that they're um, willing to kind of dive into and really explore the characters that they create. And I think just from from being in the either in the classroom with them or sometimes it's an auditorium, I've learned that, you know, if I want to write for this age group, um, I need to make sure that I'm telling a really fun, entertaining story, but also definitely <laughs> uh, sometimes trying to make sure that there is laughter that's t- there to be had, um, but also sometimes that um, this age group wants to be challenged. And so that's kind of like what what's on me as a response, my, my responsibility as a writer to make sure that I'm doing all that for this age group because that's the stories, those are the stories they're telling. And then in terms of teaching audio drama, I have to say that, um, so most of the stuff I've done is either theater-based or creative writing-based. Um, and so I did teach my first audio drama workshop this pa- past spring and that actually came about because um, I was teaching, uh, co-teaching a devised theater uh, workshop and the pandemic hit. And so we went virtual. And so um, the other teacher and I were trying to figure out how we could continue the class and really create something that that was going to work virtually. And so I was like, well, you know, we could we can shift to doing audio pieces. Um, and I think it worked really well. We have like this this beautiful little episode of monologues um, 
that's that out there in the world and and I'm really proud of it. Um, so that was like my first my first time teaching audio drama, but it's something that Michael and I are really interested in doing more of in the coming months because we think it's really. Um, I mean, right now it's it's just uh, the you know with everything going virtual, it just makes sense. Yeah, that's really neat. What drives, I guess, your passion for working with and writing for kids of that age group? Yeah, you know, I actually started in arts education as a performer. So I was doing kind of plays that would go into the school systems and do like either workshops after in the classroom or we would do, you know, facilitate discussions. Um, And so that was like one of my first acting gigs out of college. Um, And I just, you know, right off the bat was just really interested in arts education and, and, and what it could do for kids of any age, really. And uh, one particular thing that uh, when I was doing that, that acting job, um, there was one week where we were assigned as assistant teachers to teaching artists that were going into the school system. And that was that was really it. I mean, after after I had that experience of being able to assist and teach, I just really, you know, sought it out and and I've been doing it ever since uh, being in, in, and what's interesting about teaching artist work is that, you know, you're often what happens is you'll be going in for six, eight, 10, 12 weeks, um, either once or twice a week with this kind of goal, you know, you're getting to this performance or this, you know, showcase or something that's happening. And so you get to spend this really intense time with the students. And and it's this really special thing to be able to guide the students to get to what their vision is. And then, you know, you have this amazing showcase or, you know, sometimes it's a production or a reading. um, And then you're done and you're going to the next group. Um, and it was fascinating for me to to work with each group. And sometimes I would be, you know, in one town in the morning and then in the afternoon I'd be in this a city. And so it's been a really interesting way to just see how um, different, different students, different communities just are in the state of New Jersey. And I've done some work in New York as well. But yeah, so it's just... You know, I I really do believe that arts education is so valuable and important. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like you can really see that come through in Time Storm and and what you're doing with that story. So let's shift into talking about Time Storm. I want to know about the entire journey of making Time Storm. Can you tell me about why you wanted to write about Puerto Rico and the stories of its people and the history of Puerto Rico? Yeah. So, um, I mean, in terms of the the culture of Puerto Rico, that's just very that's very personal, um, both to me uh, and Michael. So we uh, we're both both born and raised in New Jersey. Um, both of my parents were born in Puerto Rico, and they came here in their youth. And um, Michael's father was also born there. So. So um, we had this kind of connection to the island that was very different than our parents. Um, we would go and visit family in our youth, um, so so there definitely was a connection, but we never lived there. And so once we knew that we wanted to connect the kids to connect to their own history, there was this real sense of 
um, of knowing what that connection was. So we wanted to tell the story of stateside Puerto Rican kids who are really excited about learning about their culture. Um, and so hopefully that is coming through in the adventures that they go through when they go into the past and meet people who, you know, aren't necessarily in history books and, and seeing the, uh, them in, in their own kind of space and, um, and dealing with things that, you know, were happening at that time, but we don't necessarily um, hear about, or if we hear about them, they're on, you know, in this Wikipedia entry or on, in the, you know, and so it's, it's different when you place 12 year olds going back in time and actually, you know, are face to face in somebody's classroom, for example. So yeah, so the, the, the connection was always uh, super personal in terms of the cultural aspect. So I'm really curious because I found myself sometimes furiously Googling afterward being like, is this actually like a, a historical person? Like, so for me, it was like really exciting to like hear this history come through. How how much, I guess, creative freedom did you take with the history? And were there specific historical figures or, or pieces that really were just really interesting to you that called to you to speak those stories? So I'm going to, and I'll try not to like spoil anything uh, <laughs> in terms of season two. So we, um, I had, I had an original like huge, like really long list of like, oh wow, this person did this and then, and then you know, list. And I was like, this will be like a 10 season show if we visit all these people. Um, so we, um, uh, we definitely had to choose what who they were going to visit and and um and we always tried to kind of align it with some kind of because in the the premise of the kind of when they go back in time there's always like an artifact that they are looking for so we needed to kind of match up with like okay what could be the artifact in this storyline and make sure that it kind of made sense for the the arc of a season so in terms of what is real, uh, so I'll talk about the first season. Um, they do, they go back in time three times. Um, and in the first kind of story arc that deals the main character there is Celestina Cordero. Um, she was a real educator, um, as was her, her brother, Rafael Cordero. And um, the, her, her brother is actually, you know, revered and well known and has you know streets named after him um and she actually um according to which source you know you read seems that she was the one who really um initially um was pushing to create this this school for girls and he was someone who was also doing it at the same time but she was the one who was really kind of pushing for it um but but she's rarely talked about um and she doesn't have the kind of streets named after her or maybe now she does I hope I know that um, she's been kind of popping up in articles in the past few years so so that was very real now what happened in the classroom it was something that I wanted to make sure felt like it could have happened but that was nothing that was going to uh, negate history and that was kind of a rule that we always had, was that the twins were never going to undo history or make something not happen. And so that was the tricky thing, plot-wise, right? Yeah. <laughs> to make sure like, that there was this engaging plot, that there was some kind of artifact that needed to be um, attained, and yet that the twins, and it's something that that they actually kind of grapple with, like, like they want to be like, do the right thing. And they're like, but 
we can't change anything. So, uh, and then in season one as well, um, Lolita Tizol was also an educator. Um, and then Monsi Roman is, um, is actually a NASA microbiologist. So those are, um, and she's uh, still living. So that was another story that we were really excited to tell. Of course, she's a child in that, <laughs> in that story. But there were, with Monsi, there were a lot of, you know, videos. Like NASA actually has a lot of videos like interviews with her um, and other, I think, science-based um, uh, resources. And so she talked a lot about how she would do these science fairs and how important her grandmother and her teachers were um, in really kind of giving her the confidence to go after what she wanted. And so that was kind of the truth that we were always going after in that storyline. That's really neat. I think that's really powerful, too. Thank you. Thanks. Was there anything that you discovered in writing or producing the series about your culture that was really like new or exciting for you? Or was there any moment that clicked with you while you were writing that really solidified that like these stories were just so, so important to you personally as well? Like, was there any particular moment or any particular part of the story that really hit home with you, you know, growing up stateside, uh, like similarly to the kids? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think at some point it happened with like any storyline where we went back in time. There was always this recognition of like, how did we not know more about this person? How have we not heard, uh, you know, Michael and I would just have these conversations or even with the cast. We, you know, sometimes with the cast, we would, they would be like, wait, wait. And uh, like, this was a, a person and, and he or she actually did this. And I'm like, yeah. And then, you know, we'd be like taking out, you know, going through and, and actually showing them, you know, either a, a statue or uh, some information. And so we would have these conversations of like, why are we not why have we not heard about this? And and so there's this recognition, there's this kind of, you always know that there's, obviously here in the States, we're not, we're not learning about Puerto Rican history um, in the classroom. That's just not a thing that's happening. Um, luckily, my my parents, you know, had like Puerto Rican art around and we, we listened to music, so there was exposure there. But in terms of like, really getting a, a full historical background um, across the board that there were a few things but it wouldn't it wasn't happening a lot so really diving in and thinking about you know not only okay looking back what this person did but what it meant that they did it in that time period um, like to take Celestina Cordero again she was uh, an Afro Boricua you know so she she was you know, um, it was really hard for her to fight and stand up and even be recognized as a teacher. And it's 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 one of those things. The woman that we actually um, uh, hired to to play that role, who did an amazing job, is actually you know the, an Afro Boricua teaching artist. Um, and I, I remember when we were in the room recording it. Um, her name is Javis Siri. She she did a wonderful job. There were conversations, like there were things that were coming up um, about, you know, a scene that would take place with her students. And I remember we would kind of all of a sudden be talking about, you know, the work we do as teaching artists and relating it to what was happening in the scene. Um, so there was kind of like this real connection um, that was happening there. 
Yes. I mean, but I, I could I could honestly say that one of those moments happened probably with every episode that happened in the past. That's really interesting. I think that's really cool that you got to like discover that and have actors who connected to your characters as well. So just for our listeners, an Afro-Puerica is a Puerto Rican who is of African descent? Yeah. Sorry uh, sorry to put the emotional labor on you. I'm just so unfamiliar with the history and just wanted to make sure that our listeners knew the term. And Boricua is another way to say a Puerto Rican person. It comes from the indigenous Taino language. So an Afro-Boricua is a Puerto Rican person who is Black. Excellent. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. So let's talk about your cast and crew. So your cast and crew are nearly all Puerto Rican. What was it like working with them? And what were some of your favorite moments recording the series, writing the series with your husband? Like, I would love to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, so... Uh... Our cast, we love them. <laughs> um, so if we take the, you know, if we include like the guest cast, because we have a lot of people who come in just to do one episode that takes place in the past, about half of the cast is part Puerto Rican. And then also if we look at that whole group, about three quarters is Latinx um, in in but not necessarily um, Puerto Rican. And and that w- that's always been really important, I, I think, to, uh, an important part in telling a story because um, there are some things culturally that that you can really uh, explore and go deeper um, if, if you understand the culture um, of the story you're telling. So um, we were always really interested in making sure that we had a cast um, that understood that and also several members of the cast um, are pretty um, comfortable with Spanish um, and uh, so we do have sometimes characters will kind of come in and out of English uh, you know dip into Spanish a little bit so uh, I, Michael and I've been talking about this how you know we used to record in in our home studio and we would have, you know, several actors coming in. We could record up to four at a time. Um, and, and sometimes we'd have even more um, here in the apartment. And we'd often like, you know, after recording would have these like meet lovely meals where people were laughing and sometimes having deep conversation. And, um, and it was truly, you know, this kind of like family setting. And, you know, we did that in January when we recorded the first half of the season. And it just seems like a lifetime ago, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, we've been recording remotely since then. And uh, it makes you realize that we were just kind of taking for granted those gatherings that we were able to have back then. And, you know, I'll say that that the cast has really stepped up and done an amazing work, uh, amazing job recording remotely but I think there was something really special about being able to have like for example the entire family Ventura family in a room together and kind of playing off of each other and you know like the the twins the actors who play the twins were really acting like twins and the parents were, you know <laughs> like really kind of fulfilling those roles and it so it was just really great to see especially when we were working in the second season because they had kind of the whole first season to grow in those characters. Um, so that was always really lovely to see. And yeah, I, I hope we'll be able to return to some some kind of <laughs> group recording soon, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. 
I really love that the the like you can really tell the chemistry of of the cast through the acting. And I actually really love that you have cast members and in the writing who do go in and out of Spanish to English because I feel like that makes it feel more real that jumping from one language to another. I really love that and I think you've done an amazing job at creating that feeling with your cast and with your writing. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you know, and that's part part of that is was written into the script. So, um uh, I write most of the scripts, but we also, we have another writer, Andrew, who also writes. Um, and so I encouraged him to do that as well. But I'll say that sometimes, you know, when we have, we've done our takes and we know we have what we need, we'll say like, hey, you know, do a free take. And like, if that comes out in Spanish, okay, <laughs> you know. Um, and it's always interesting to kind of see, I think in particular, when Jenica, who plays the mom, um does that there's always like some kind of like if there's like a reprimand that comes out and it's just so natural and perfect from a mother you know, <laughs> that you're like oh we have to use that yeah so, almost yeah. like hearing a parent use all of your names yes yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah, exactly I love that that's really great moving off of I suppose like the cast and crew and the the story of time storm how did you get involved with PRX tracks the google podcast creator program yeah, absolutely. Um, so we applied to the Google Podcast Creator Program that is through PRX um, in late 2018, I believe. Yes. And we had actually already recorded the first five episodes of season one. And so we applied. And, and we, when we found out that we um, were selected for the first cohort, first of all, we were so excited <laughs> and happy and honored. Um, but uh, we, when we entered the program, we had to make a, a de decision. And we decided that we were going to halt production, go through the training program, and then use like kind of what we were learning um, and relaunch with um, some changes to the first five episodes and then kind of use that to, to finish and complete the, the entire season. So that was like a six-month program that was from January 2019 to June. And, you know, we met so many amazing um, podcasters um, from across the United States and all over the world. That was, I think, one of the, the greatest things kind of really being immersed in the international scene. Um, that was one of the main things of the program that they really wanted to um, see, you know, help grow um, podcasts interna internationally. That was what Google was really trying to do. Um, and so we were, you know, going up to Boston um, to the PRX uh, podcast garage to do training um, every other month or I think so. We went three times, I think. <laughs> um, and, and going through that program. And so, you know, um, coming out of it, we were really fortunate that we, it led to some other opportunities. And the, the kind of most recent and, and um, the biggest one for us was the Tracks Network, which is uh, a podcast network specifically for ages 9 to 13. Um, and that is um, through PRX. And so, yeah, we were, when we were invited, we were like, 
oh my God, this is amazing. And it's, and we were just really excited because it was a network specifically for that very age group that we were writing for. And yeah, so to kind of be part of that, that network where, you know, everybody's really, really interested in creating content for that age group. And it's, uh, you know, we we're fiction, there's some other fiction um, podcasts, but there's also nonfiction, some really great stuff. So yeah, so we've just been really um, fortunate and, and lucky to be able to kind of join that network. So while this is your first written audio drama series, uh, audio fiction series, it's not your first time writing. You've been writing for a really long time before that. So I'm curious, is there any advice that you would give your younger, less experienced self with regards to playwriting or writing for the audio medium? Um, Yeah, I mean, in terms of just like general being a writer, <laughs> um, I would give my young, my younger self the advice to you know don't diminish yourself or your work because I think that's something that I have done in the past. I think you know I think it's probably a lifelong thing <laughs> that you have to keep reminding yourself about. But I think I mean yeah I think sometimes I, I doubted a story or the way I was telling a story and I I think you know there's just a you just really need to trust yourself and 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 say, okay, this is a story I want to tell. This is the way I want to tell it, um, and and part of that I think is what led me to audio drama because uh, there was a real sense that this this time traveling thing they didn't belong on stage. You know, there was another way to tell it, um, and and being open to taking this thing that I originally kind of made a proposal for for stage, uh, looking at it in a new way and being like, oh, okay. Like we can go over here and like make it make it really work in this medium, and it will work because it's time travel, and there are things you can do with audio that you would never be able to do on stage. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, like don't don't diminish yourself, don't diminish your work, and trust that you know what the work needs to be. I love that. That's great advice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any current or future projects that you want to talk about or that you can talk about? Is there a zip on that? <laughs> <laughs> so there are a couple of things that we're kind of working on and, and developing um, that we, we're not, I'm not going to say too much about. Um, if, if they are to happen, there's something that we would be looking to do in Spanish. And then another thing, if it were to happen, um, would be really kind of um, uh, using our, uh, Michael and I's background in um, uh, arts education. So that's what I could say about that. <laughs> um, and then and then um, I'm excited because I'm gonna do a little bit of voice acting in, um, in another series uh, that is produced by um, one of our actors, actually. So I'm excited to be able to to kind of switch hats and, and be a voice actor for a little bit. <laughs> Very cool. And last question, let's end off. You had mentioned that kind of listening to audio fiction was uh, at least uh, a small part of driving you to start writing audio fiction. But are there any good podcasts that you've been enjoying and that you want to recommend to our listeners? 
Yeah. So I'm gonna do I'm gonna do a couple for kids, and then I think a couple. Heck yeah! <laughs> I love that. No, that's great. <laughs> um, so Stoop Kids Stories is just this lovely kids um, podcast storytelling podcast. It's Mel her, uh, Mel Victor, um, and I call it like I think of it as if Flyest Fables had a kid's sister. That's would be Stoop Kids stories. <laughs> um, so definitely fun to check out. Um, and and actually uh, uh, from the Tracks Network, there's a there's a really interesting podcast called Feeling My Flow that's about menstruation. But like the stories that they are producing around menstruation are really amazing and interesting. The, the most recent episode, they would talk to astronauts and um, they've talked to athletes and, you know, teen teen advocates and all these like interesting stories like there's been a game like how the period emoji came to be all these amazing stories um from feeling my flow and uh let's see okay so for adults um how to talk to mommy and papi about anything is this really great uh podcast uh Julika Williams uh Lantigua Williams is the host and it's essentially the first half of each episode is her talking to a child an adult child of an immigrant with some kind of issue they have usually kind of based it culturally and then the second half is a, an expert that is brought in to kind of you know break down okay what's going on here and what are some some tips that we can give this person um, to deal with that and and kind of have uh, to to make good with their relationship with their parents so that's that's a really interesting one and then I'm going to throw out another audio drama just because I just started it and I'm super excited about it. Um, Seen and Not Heard is really beautiful. (laughs) Um, I agree. (laughs) um, And I hope I am pronouncing her name correctly, Caroline Minx, um, just is, I believe, is the creator. And just really fascinating uh, about a young woman who has recently uh, become hard of hearing I believe is how they refer to it, um, and what comes with all of that, and and how to navigate that. Um, beautiful, beautifully done. Awesome! Thank you so much for those recommendations. Those are really cool. I love I love the range of them. That's awesome. Thank you. Absolutely. And Danya, is there anything that we didn't talk about today that you want to get out there? Um, so we are doing a virtual listening party that's going to be coming up in October. Um, and it's part of the Nork Public Library's Latinos Celebration Programming. Um, and it's happening on October 17th. I believe it's two o'clock, but I still actually need to confirm that that's the time. But I'll be posting it. I, we can post it on the, um, the our website, uh, our events page when we have that. And so it's going to be uh, available for anybody. It's virtual, free. So we hope that some people come and, and listen with us. That sounds awesome. I'll make sure that there are links in the show notes as well. Thank you. To that. So awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today, Tanya. It's been really cool talking to you. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you so much, Tess. This has been great. You can find out more about Timestorm and listen to the series at timestormseries.com. And we're on Twitter and Instagram at timestormpod.
The intro and outro music for all IPM episodes is composed by Benny James. Our graphic art and logo are by Matthias Grelly. You can support International Podcast Month by sharing and talking about the event, and you can even buy our team members a coffee. Links are in the show notes. Follow us at PodMonth on Twitter and use the hashtag PodMonth2020. Head on over to internationalpodcastmonth.com for the month-long blog and for more information about the event. International Podcast Month, celebrating creators, sharing listeners.